Today we begin a series entitled 12 Words of Hope for the World. 12 Words of Hope for the World. These are words that the church has in its vault. 12 powerful words that the world we live in today desperately needs. And perhaps the world has always needed these words of hope. So why would we not share them, give them away, allow them to live in us, to be a part of how we live, how we talk, how we represent Christ as we commission these youth to go and represent Christ. So today we begin on this Father's Day with a very, very powerful word. The word is family, and you find it a lot in the Bible. Now, not all of us are going to agree with this passage I'm about to read you. You'll take issue with it. 
because the roles are uh, defined as hierarchical and male dominant. And that was the culture in which this passage was written from Ephesians. But these words in Ephesians are actually elevating the status of women in that culture above being just mere property, which is the way women had been seen. Now, this text doesn't go far enough, I'll give you that, but it moves in the right direction, a direction we have continued to move throughout time. But in this day, when this letter was read uh, in the church, it would have been heard as radical and liberal and a threat to the stability of their society because men were in charge and women were property, and that was that. But the church spoke against that culture, and the church will always speak against that culture, calling us to a higher standard of living for the world. Hear these words now, written to a small group of people in a very metropolitan Roman city on the seashore, the city of Ephesus. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. And just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of a kind, yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery. And I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself. And a wife should respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now there are a lot of rules and regulations in the Bible concerning family life. I don't know if you've noticed that. But the Bible has a lot to say about this powerful word, family. Things like children obey your parents. I particularly like that one now. Or honor your father and mother. 
And those of you who have aging parents know what those words mean. All of us know what those words mean. And you would think that the Holy Scriptures would be interested in spiritual things, lofty things, holy matters, religion, theology, deep things like that. But there's a whole lot in the Bible, Old and New Testament, about family. There are rules, for example, concerning divorce. And these evolve through the Bible. In the Old Testament, a man could simply write a note and dismiss his wife if, quote, he finds something objectionable about her. Now try that today. (laughs) And we could set up some cots down in the basement for you guys to stay. But that's the way it was. Men owned women. They were property. Notice that didn't say, wives, if you find something objectable about your husband, write a note, dismiss him. No, it didn't work that way. And so there it is in the Bible. Deuteronomy 24.1, that you could write a note and dismiss your wife. In Mark's gospel, however, years and years later, Jesus says that those who divorce commit adultery if they remarry. But in Matthew's gospel, Jesus qualifies that by adding that unchastity is a grounds for divorce. So in that case, the case of unchastity in in one of the partners, to remarry would not be adultery. You see how the rules are moving a little bit through the scriptures. Then Paul writes this about divorce. Paul talks about unbelieving spouses being made holy through their believing spouse. So that's a Christian being married to an unchristian, and you're made holy by the fact you're married to that Christian. But if the unbelieving partner wants to separate, Paul says, quote, let it be so. The believing spouse is not bound. Now, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's, it's all in the Bible. There are also rules about adultery, rules about family life. Adultery is number seven in the Ten Commandments. To make the top ten, that's pretty important. And adultery is right in there with the top ten. Why? Because adultery tears down the family. It separates mother from father and children from parents. It's breaking the vows you took before God and one another. And the Old Testament is really rough on adultery. Under certain conditions, you could be stoned to death for committing adultery. That's in Deuteronomy 22. But oddly enough, Jesus lets a woman go free. You know this story. He lets a woman go free who was caught in the very act of adultery, the Bible says. So there's no question she was committing adultery. Interestingly, they didn't bring the man before Jesus. They let him go because both of them should have been stoned to death. But they let the guy go. They brought the woman to Jesus and tried to trap him about what to do with her. Because the law says you should stone her. And they knew if he stoned her, his disciples would turn against him. And if he didn't stone her, he was breaking the law. 
And Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand. You know the story. And then he got back up and he said, okay, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says they all began to drop their stones. And the elders walked away because they were all full of sin. But what Jesus did, think about this, was actually in conflict with his Bible. There was no New Testament. It was only Old Testament. The Old Testament said if you're caught in the act of adultery, you should be stoned to death. And Jesus let her go. And he forgave her. There's all kinds of rules in the Bible about families. One of the frustrations I have when somebody says, I believe every word in the Bible is true. And I always want to say, have you read it? Oh, I believe the truth is in the scriptures. But the facts begin to change throughout scripture. Truth is one thing, facts are another. And truth evolves through scripture if you read it slowly. And all of it. We have this word, the church has this word family. This word is a big deal for us. And and we're honestly not the only ones who have this word. Other religions have the word family. Jewish people are big on family. Buddhists are big on family. Muslims are huge on family. Atheists, they like family. You know, it's a good thing. Psychology has the word family. Sociology has it. Anthropology, the judicial system, the government has lots of laws about family. Health care. Business, education, family is in all of their vocabularies. And family does not always mean a mom and a dad and two children. We've seen that family takes on numerous models in our society and in other cultures. But at the core of all of those family units, whatever they look like, there is a need to belong to somebody. That's at the heart of family. There's a need to give and to receive love. There's a need to learn about commitment. Commitment when you don't want to be committed. Committed when it would be easier if I walked away from this family. There are some people who do walk away from their families because being with their families is too hard for them. In our families, we learn something about what real devotion means and perseverance. And we also learn about sacrifice. And sometimes family is more than what's in the bloodstream. It's what's in the heart. And our family sometimes can be people who don't even share our bloodstream. What is it they say? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That is so true. Family's family. You're stuck with them. Amen? Yeah, don't say that so enthusiastically. (laughs) On Father's Day. Right. Your family can be your greatest sense of joy. Catherine and I uh, celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary on May 28th. And she deserves a medal for that. And uh, part of that celebration was we took our whole family to the Outer Banks this past week where Catherine and I met at the Outer Banks. And so we had our children, our grandchildren, my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law, his wife, let's see, uh, aunt and uncle. Yeah, they can be your source of greatest joy. 
and they can be the source of your deepest pain. (laughs) But isn't it true? We had a wonderful week celebrating our family. We walked on the beach together and we said, can you believe just the two of us started this whole mess, this whole thing? (laughs) And two of my grandchildren are here today to celebrate with us. But it's not a mess. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift to have your family. And yet it's such a painful thing for some people and maybe for all of us. At some level, there's pain in our family system. You know, when I was a child, we didn't have the word dysfunctional family, did we? I mean, that's a relatively new word, dysfunctional family. And I wonder if if we, if, you know, we've always had dysfunctional families or we just finally got a name for it. And the definition of a dysfunctional family, if you go look it up, is a family with with, uh, unhealthy lack of empathy in it. Chronic denial of things that are going on. Deceit, poor boundaries, extreme conflict, triangles, poor communication, addictions, abuse, belittling, over-permissiveness, over-controlling, lack of forgiveness, double standards, scapegoating, abandonment, manipulation, and poor anger management. It is, aren't you glad none of those things are in our families? Because Christians don't have dysfunctional families, do we? I didn't get no amen on that. (laughs) There are levels of dysfunction. Severe, moderate, mild. And all of our families have weaknesses. Right now, you're thinking about the pain that's in your family. A son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister... And only you know that. It's kind of your secret. And it's, we have a lot of secrets in our families. Things we don't talk about. But in our family units, there are weaknesses. There are dysfunctions. Criminologists tell us that an overwhelming percentage of all prisoners come from a dysfunctional family. And the prison system is growing in numbers. Therapists and physicians and lawyers spend their days up to their eyebrows in family problems. And educators tell us this, that what happens in the home determines what happens or doesn't happen in the classroom. Family is that powerful a word. Oh, it's a huge, huge word for the world. Family. But they don't teach you in school how to be in a family. There are very few classes that teach you how to be a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad. And then there aren't people talking to you about their family problems, so you don't learn much from other families because we keep all this stuff to ourselves. And you could be sitting there thinking, I thought I was the only one. But you're not. So where do you learn to be in this powerful word? Family. We even call the church a church family. And some churches are dysfunctional in being a family. And others are healthy. The Bible's got a lot to say about family because it matters. It matters how husbands and wives treat each other. 
It matters how we parent our children. It matters how children respect their parents and how we care for our aging members of our families. God gave us family as a gift and it matters how we nurture and care for that gift. I'm sure you've noticed this, but it struck me one day uh, while I was doing a funeral years ago and I was sitting where I could see these front rows and they were empty for a bit and then all of a sudden, guess who came in? The family. And it dawned on me that the front rows of my funeral are going to be reserved for my family. It's not going to be reserved for my golfing buddies or for my bankers. It's not going to be reserved for my next door neighbors or my business associates. The front rows go to the family. And so the question dawned on me, what am I doing to take care of those people? Above all else. The whole room might be packed for my funeral, but those five, six rows, what's going on between me and those people? How much love did I pour into them? How much money did I invest in their life and in their future? How much wisdom did I impart to them? How much forgiveness when, when they were broken did I dispel into their life? How much did I love them, the front row? Because when it's all said and done, who's at the front row of your funeral? This is how powerful the word family is. The Who's sitting in the front rows of your funeral? Your family. They're the ones who matter the most. And maybe that's why there's so much about them and protecting them with the rules that are in the Bible. As I put this series together for this summer, 12 words of hope for the world, 12 Sundays, 12 words of hope, I couldn't think of a more powerful word the world needs right now than the word family, especially on this Father's Day. Because I thought, how much better would the world be if we all had healthy families? Probably would empty the prisons out. It would knock therapists out of a lot of jobs. What if we treated everybody as if they were in our family? People of different race and colors and creeds and no creeds. And, and what if we treated them as a brother or sister in the Lord? Respecting their freedom to be who they are, to be different. Respecting who God made them to be. They're our family. What if we treated the whole world this way? Oh, there may be some dysfunction, but in our families, we learn to find hope in unconditional love. In our families, we learn commitment. We learn perseverance. We learn sacrifice. We learn forgiveness. We learn encouragement. And we learn grace. Our family is a training ground for being in the world.
It tells us who we are. It's a place where God can mold us and shape us into the people God called us to be. If the world were to look to the church today for words of hope, and watching the news, I would say they do need to look to the church for words of hope. We would give them the word family. Take this word. Because the world is a family as each person is a child of God. And how different would the world be if we were but to begin to live as if that were true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.